Welcome to Not Your Father's Data Center Podcast, brought to you by Compass Data Centers. We build for what's next. Now here's your host, Raymond Hawkins. Uh, welcome again. We are re- recording today on uh, September 16th um, here in 2020 as the world continues to wrestle with the global pandemic. And um, uh, today on Not Your Father's Data Center, we are joined by Andrew J, head of Data Center Solutions for CBRE for the Europe, Middle East and Africa. Andrew, thank you for uh, joining us today. Pleasure. Nice to, uh, nice to be here, uh, Raymond. So, Andrew, we've uh, had the good fortune of um, having CBRE on before to talk about markets. And um, the last time we did it, we did it with um, Haynes Schrader and talked about uh, two or three key North American markets. Would love to do the same with you uh, in in Europe. Um, and, and if you want to expand the aperture and talk a little Middle East or a little Africa, feel free to do that. But we'd, we'd love to talk a little bit about what you see in the marketplace in London, uh, how the world is handling the pandemic and how it's impacting the data center business and then any other markets uh, that you'd love to highlight and talk through. Um, we, we'd love to hear from you and, and CBRE's expertise. Yeah, that's great. Do you want me to um, just launch into it, uh, Raymond? Yes, sir. You can fire away, Andrew. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's been a, an amazing journey, really, um, since we saw you know, the massive uptick in demand for, for data centers across Europe, and we we look at the big markets being London, Frankfurt, Amsterdam, and Paris. That's in sort of descending size order. So, you know, London's the, the biggest market. It's around seven hundred to seven hundred and fifty megawatts of of co-location space, which is the metric that we use to to look at the market. And what we've found since. 2016 is that the annual take-up has more than doubled, and uh, that's just astonishing. Any asset class to have uh, you know, twice as much take-up year on year for for four years as you've had you know ever before in in history, and uh, that has generated some some really interesting um, dynamics in the market, and. What we're finding at the moment is there's some real sweet spots, uh, particularly in London, and, and this goes for, for most of the markets, the big markets, uh, a real sweet spot in terms of geographic areas where people want to be. And of course, that's because it, it's mostly hyperscale cloud driven. Um, you know, we, we, the, the big three uh, being the Microsofts, the Amazon, and the, um, and the Google. Companies and they are responsible for taking up something ridiculous like eighty percent of all of the colo space in the uh, the main markets, which is extraordinary. So everything kind of revolves around them at the moment, and because they're quite locationally sensitive, and so in London terms, the the real sweet spot area at the moment is. And yeah, I appreciate not everyone's going to know these places, but basically out due west of central London is a place called Slough. And so you go from sort of that far western side, you come into um, Stockley Park, which is near Heathrow Airport, which most people will be familiar with. And then you come into a place called Hayes, and, and then you go to a little bit further into Park Royal. There's a real sort of corridor there on that western side. 
And we are just having an absolute feeding frenzy at the moment of um, developer operators trying to secure land. And of course, it's, it's the usual issues around power planning, fiber and risks. Um, and, and, and the prices of these sites are actually going through the roof at the moment. And um, we are starting to see uh, such competition for the sites that come on and can be delivered in a reasonable time scale. So let's say where you can get space up and running in you know, 18 months, maybe up to two years, but no more than that, that there's such intense competition that now people are starting to say, goodness, the, the, the cost of the sites needs to be absorbed in some way where in years gone by, no one really batted an eyelid about the price of the land. And so now they are building up and building really big um, it's almost got a sort of American feel to it, you know, maxing out these sites. Andrew, give me give me some feel. You said that the cost per land has gotten really out of hand. Just relative. What's 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 a what's a number? So I was really hoping you wouldn't ask me that question. <laughs> That's um, okay. Because <laughs> in Northern uh, Virginia, you know, we, we are seeing deals, you know, well in the you know million and a half, two million dollars an acre number and just wondering if that that slough you know through through into heathrow is that, that that's that's chump change compared to london if you could give me a few acres at that price i would buy it out of my own pocket honestly yeah that's what um, i figured yes you know where we've seen transactions at six million pounds per acre and oh. i am looking at some deals at the moment where it, it, it's quite considerably north of that actually um, and that hopefully just gives you a feel of, of where it's got to and why therefore the operators are saying well actually you know we're going to have to build up and in some yeah. cases you know they're looking at four five six stories which certainly in my experience we've only seen in places like when i've been to tokyo for example it's big multi-story singapore um some of the core core areas where the real internet hubs are and there's restrictions on land you see buildings go up so in london that's the the, the, the docklands area but nowhere else have i really seen that it's extraordinary man six million an acre that's real money it is, and uh, but before everybody gets excited about that, you know that is, as, as I say, a very, very specific um, area. And of course, everybody gets that it's expensive now, and so a lot of the end users are trying to then leapfrog away from those areas and get somewhere where they can get a larger amount of land, a lower price, uh, less competition for the power, and uh, I guess it's all the you know the common sense things that they're doing. And Andrew, when, when we probably should have done this at the beginning, but as, as you talk about London, this is uh, you, you talk about it with a wealth of experience. If if, uh, if I remember correctly, this is 20 plus years for you in the real estate market in London. Is that correct? Yeah. So I'm bizarrely, I've been doing data centers for 20 years, uh, but I, I, before that I was a, you know, an investment guy in a, a city of London office agency guy and uh, you know I wouldn't have believed that um, you know I, I frankly would have made a uh, you know a career out of advising on data centers but it just it just shows how the demand for data centers and that whole world that ecosystem has just grown beyond all belief you know in that 20 years sort of post dot-com boom and bust time yeah it's extraordinary so, so I know Slough and in around there is is the prices are through the roof, and you mentioned that 
providers are looking at other areas of town. Wh- which direction have folks gone? North? What? Uh, what? Where? What's the? What's? What's the next thing as London and, and in the city gets so expensive? We, we used to talk about London being a couple of sub-markets, which were the City of London, so the financial district, plus the London Docklands, which is where the original data centers uh, were built. And the Docklands is very much the connectivity hub. That's where people like Telehouse and uh, you know, the, the, other, the other big companies are. And then we talked about outer London being everything within a sort of 35-mile radius of, of, of there. So this is the sort of low latency area. And uh, Slough really started developing properly, properly about eight or 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, actually, when some of the big corporates went there so for their financial services data centers. And uh, it, it, it just grew from there. And so we now are looking at very, very specific areas. So, for example, one of the hyperscalers is uh, looking at North London. And so it's a very particular location that they're looking at. And suddenly, we've got a lot of interest now in land in that area because where the parent, if you like, of the availability zone has gone into North London, then the child sites will be close by. And so what we haven't seen is, say, East London yet. And we've got a couple of really good quality data center builds in East London, but the demand hasn't quite got there yet. I mean, there's no question it will get there, but it's not there at the moment. And, you know, as they say, uh, so much of, of business life is about getting your timing right. Yes. So East, east meaning east of Slough, f- further east of there? So, yeah, so, so east going back into central London and then the eastern side of central London. Okay. So that's that would be quite a way from Slough, the, the other side of town really. Gotcha. Okay. And and then but that's you know we've we've talked about the hyperscalers, um, but of course London was built on enterprise demand and there is still good enterprise demand if you look at it um, in the context of the last you know, 10, 15 years of, of demand. The demand is there, but it just gets dwarfed by the, the hyperscale uh, transactions that are being done. The enterprise, it's interesting. We were worried going into the, the COVID situation that enterprise demand was going to stop. And in actual fact, all the projects we had on continued and they're all getting completed. I think the thing that's changed is we're not seeing the new enterprise projects come up. And that's probably because you know they are just trying to keep the lights on at the moment. They are, I think, accelerating their thought process around uh, going to more of a hybrid IT architecture, more cloud adoption. They're looking at cost saving, but they're not quite there yet. But certainly my expectation is next year in 21, we're going to see those enterprise companies come back, but with clearer strategies around um, cloud and, and hybrid and also trying to reduce down their dependency on the what are now relatively old, large, generally inefficient, underutilized uh, corporate data centers that uh, that a lot of them have, have ended up being saddled with. Andrew, we have um, you know listeners in, in 
all the mar- major markets. Um, I'd, I'd love it if, if with with your expertise and time and grade there at, at uh, in London and with Sibiri, do you mind giving us two or three of who you go when when a, when an enterprise client comes to CBRE? Who are two or three of the best providers there in town in London? Wow, that's another question I wish you hadn't asked me. Um, <laughs> six million, we already got one tough answer. Six million an acre. Or six million pounds an acre, not just dollars. How to win friends and influence people. Um, right, right, my right. Goodness. Um, yeah, we're, we're very lucky. Well, you, well the people you mentioned will be happy. Let's look, let's look at it that way. Absolutely. We're very lucky in London. We're, because we're the biggest market, we have got pretty much all of the main providers. So, you know, the, from the wholesalers to Digital Realty to Equinix, you know, those companies are very, very strong. They, that's so the next generation down um, on the wholesale side, like the uh, the Cyrus Ones, very, very strong, got several buildings in Slough, very, very successful. And they, they built up sort of pan-European footprints. And what we've also got is some very good local providers and unusually for Europe, we've got companies like Virtus and Arc who are both just concentrating on the UK and and principally London. What we have found in recent years is as soon as someone's built a, a platform, then they get gobbled up by either one of the big um, trade players or private equity wanting to build up a new platform and expand it out. But the likes of Virtus and, um, and Arc have been very, very successful um, in London, and I think they have, have significant expansion plans. So that, and, and I'm sure I've, I've missed people off that, uh, that list, for which I apologize, but you know, most of the people now... I have to say, are good quality. They're not competing as much like they used to in the old days on the you know the, the widgets and that they've got in their data centers. I think the specifications now are all extremely good. Security and operations pretty good, and so you know it's more now competing on you know where where are you? Are you in the right location? And what is the ecosystem that you've got? Because we've built up different ecosystems now, really distinct ones. You know, we've got the connectivity ecosystem in Docklands, which I mentioned. We've got financial services ecosystems in Slough. We've got the hyperscale ecosystems, etc. So it really depends what you're, what you're wanting to achieve. And there's very few people who come to us and just say, look, we just want some data center space. Um, but, but those that do, then my goodness, there's a, there's a fantastic choice. All right. Well, I've asked two questions that you would have liked to have avoided. So I'm going to present this next one as two questions and let you pick which one you want to talk about. So I know we've only got a few more minutes uh, of our time with you, Andrew. So do you want to talk a bit more about London uh, in the context of of Brexit and and the continent and how it's going to impact uh, or continue to impact data center? Or would you rather pick another market in Europe and talk about that in our last few minutes together? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll take the really easy option there and go for the you know, some of the rest of Europe and, and talk about that. And um, I think we, we often get very centered on those flap um, cities that, that we've talked about. And you know, there's good reason because of their size. But we are seeing, I mean, an example would be Milan, for example. So Milan... I went there numerous times in the dot-com boom, and then I probably didn't go there for, gosh, 
15 years. I mean, it's extraordinary. There was just, you know, just no demand. It was probably a 15 megawatt co-location market. You know, that's all. It was a handful of buildings. And then suddenly, probably three years ago, maybe four at tops, you get, you know, we got phone calls from people saying, have you got any land in Milan? And we said, well, what, what on earth do you want that for? And they said, well, you know, I can't tell you. And then we get another call from someone saying, I can't tell you. But, you know, and suddenly you work out, well, clearly there's you know, one of the big guys is, is wanting to go there. And so that market's gone from being a 15 megawatt market to SuperNAP data for a local company, Aruba, of all bought land, built pretty significant facilities. Currently, that's probably a 60 to 65 megawatt market. And that has got, just with the schemes that are there today, that could expand to double that and probably more. So you could probably go up to 175 megawatts now. So that's a 15 megawatt market where we've now got line of sight to 175. Now that's that's extraordinary. And there's some amazing opportunities there. And Milan isn't unique. And places like Madrid is similar. And you can literally tell as the hyperscalers you know, start having these secret conversations saying, don't tell anyone, but we want to go to you know, Eastern Europe. Suddenly the phones start ringing and these small markets go through a huge acceleration. And it does cause some real problems because you, and we talked about land prices at the start, but if you suddenly go into, say, Madrid and six people are all wanting to buy a piece of prime or prime data center land, then suddenly guess what? The price goes through the roof. And we, we're finding this in um, places like Warsaw. We've talked about Milan and Madrid, some of the Swedish um, countries and Swiss countries, so Geneva and Zurich. Prices are going up and, and just there's very little availability. And it's also got to, giving a lot of stress to the, the grid infrastructure because the grid infrastructure generally in Europe is older and probably not particularly flexible relative to what you might be used to in the States where you've got a hell of a lot of land as well. And so that has caused enormous problems, plus all of the issues around permitting, local code, local language. It makes the whole development process quite challenging. Um, we were on a call literally uh, yesterday on Madrid, and the guys were saying, yeah, do you know, you, you've got this great piece of land, but you know, the power might take three years to get if you're lucky. And you know, people just won't, let, won't wait that length of time. And so, yeah, the, these, these secondary markets are really interesting. They're growing. If you've got people listening that, that, that want to go there, then they're great opportunities, but it is quite difficult to, uh, to get a foothold. That's amazing, and uh, Andrew, that you could see Milan go from sleepy for a decade at ten or fifteen megawatts to it could be as much as one hundred and fifty or one hundred seventy five megawatts. It's uh, I, I think it speaks to how rapidly our world is transforming. I heard somebody say um, that COVID has caused 
three years of, of um, IT acceleration to happen in six months. And I think that's uh, without a doubt an accurate statement. And I think we uh, not, not drawing a direct correlation to the activity in Milan to, to COVID, but, but certainly in the acceleration of the desire to operate at a, at a distance and be able to telecommute and the, the advent of zoom and all of those things uh, we, we've seen lots of increased demand on the network as a result of uh, this pandemic. Yeah, it has been amazing, hasn't it? And, we, and we've not really talked about the pandemic, but I think that the, the highlights for me are we've had quite a few construction delays, um, which have been, I think, frustrating. But I, I've been quite proud, actually, of the industry, whereby people, so that the end users, generally the hyperscalers and the developer operators have very much partnered together to find solutions. And there's been you know, very much a safety first approach, which has been great. You know, I was worried that people would be you know, making the lawyers rich, but that, that hasn't happened. Um, and we've also had problems with the planning system and the public utilities because they are both public processes, then they've been delayed significantly. And so that's not helped on this availability point of, of land for, for data center development. I think also the, the, the investment market has suffered a little bit simply. We had a lot of assets, I say a lot, probably three or four specific investments that we were literally about to take to market and we had to pull those because investors simply couldn't get to see them. But I think that's starting to ease up now and people are starting to uh, see light at the end of the tunnel and, and be able to jump on aircraft and things to, to see these assets. So yeah, I don't think COVID has had a massive negative impact, but, but there's certainly been some time delays which, uh, you know, which haven't helped us. Well, Andrew, thank you for the details on London. Are there other markets in your experience that you'd like to highlight for us? Yeah, there are. Uh, the, the, the big markets, I guess, from London being the biggest, then you've got Frankfurt um, and then Amsterdam and Paris. But just put that into some context, you know, Paris is a, it's about 210 megawatts of, of co-location supply. You know, Frankfurt's just over 400 um, compared to London, which is just over 700. So, you know, all of these comments need to put into context when comparing it to, you know, the likes of Northern Virginia. But um, the flat markets, as we call them, you know, the, the, the Frankfurt's and Amsterdam's Paris's, they're all just sub-markets, if you like, um, to London. Similar things are happening. We've been driven by the hyperscalers. And uh, I think the really interesting story is what's happening outside of those core markets. And we're seeing you know, a huge amount of activity now in places like Italy. So you know, Milan, um, places like Madrid. Um, we're seeing deals in Switzerland at the moment, both in Zurich and Geneva. And then also some of the Eastern European countries starting to open up. And uh, we've seen some transactions in Warsaw recently. So, yeah, there's an awful lot going on that uh, is outside of just those main uh, flat markets. Andrew, just to clarify, um, you gave 700 megawatts as a London figure. Do you mind giving the Paris, Amsterdam and Frankfurt again? I just want to make sure our listeners have yeah. scale of, of what flap looks like. So, so flaps about 1700 megawatts of colo supply. And the breakdown is London at 700, Frankfurt 
at 4.25, Amsterdam at 400, and Paris 210. And could I ask a, a question? Because when I think of Germany, and, and this might be really stupid sounding, but when I think of Germany, I think of Berlin. I think Berlin's the largest city. How is it that that Frankfurt got to be such an incredible market? <laughs> it, it, it's a really good question. Frank uh, and Germany often is the, the country that sort of breaks the rule of the fact that it all happens in that capital city. Um, and the, you know, the federalized nature of Germany in part explains uh, how that's happened. But why Frankfurt being so dominant? I mean, it's just very, very simple going back to the, the dot-com boom days. All the fiber companies felt that people buying their services were going to be financial services companies principally, and they're all headquartered in um, Frankfurt um, they didn't perceive that you know, the big manufacturing companies, the car companies, etc., were, were going to be their primary targets. And so they all descended on Frankfurt and um, they, they stayed there and built the ecosystem, which, of course, is so important. And it, very much London and Frankfurt grew up at you know, very much the same time. I mean, the, the secondary markets in Germany did evolve a little bit in the dot-com boom. So the likes of, we used to do um, Berlin, Munich, Hamburg, Dusseldorf, those types of location, locations. Um, but then the dot-com crash came, the fiber builds stopped. And this is why places like Madrid didn't really take off because it was all poised ready and then the builds just were, were, were stopped. And it was a little bit like that in the, in the secondary German cities. But what we're seeing now is there's a sort of push and a pull factor on the, the German cities. So the, the push factor away from Frankfurt is that the land prices and land availability, the availability of power married up with the land has become incredibly difficult. And a lot of the developer operators are struggling to find land that works there. And so there's a sort of push factor uh, away from um, Frankfurt. Um, and then there's the pull factor towards, and, and you mentioned Berlin, it's a brilliant example. Um, you know, there's a pull factor towards places like Berlin because they've got a lot of government um, functions there. They've got a lot of um, just single large corporates that are there, um, albeit they don't have the financial ecosystem of Frankfurt. And so that, that's what's now starting to evolve. And just there was a bizarre uh, situation I had a, um, a few months ago where we were asked if we had any land for data center development in um, Turin, um, which is... <laughs> Turin is tiny. It's exactly. It's yeah. a tiny, tiny place in Italy, and um, we we said, "Well, oh, flipping heck, what's what, why why Turin?" And so we can't tell you. It's all confidential. And um, I, I mean, I, I think my theory on it, and of course, it's never been stated clearly. My my theory on it is there's one massive, great big company that's headquartered in Turin, and they were looking at some sort of a a cloud type outsourced deal for which. The cloud providers would need would have needed uh, to provide a you know a new data yeah, center. So right. that one really big corporate outsource 
was enough to drive demand for a tiny city in uh, in Italy. And I, I suspect the secondary cities in Germany is a little bit like that, albeit, you know, places like Stuttgart have got, uh, you know, a handful of, of very, very large companies like the car manufacturers. Right, right. No, I see it. We see that a little bit here in the US too. You know, a, a, a broker will call and list a city and say, we need to, and you look at a map and you're like, okay, there's only two companies there. Which one of them is it? <laughs> just, just like you're describing in Turin. Yeah. Fascinating. So, so I like your conversation. Uh, the, uh, some some push that Frankfurt land has gotten expensive and that it's tougher to make the economics work there. And some pull that places like Berlin and Stuttgart have enough activity now that they might warrant uh, further development. So that's an interesting thought um, of, of how it's the the demand is getting um, impacted on both sides of the equation. Pretty fascinating stuff. But still, 425 megawatts, that's a huge market. I mean, that's, that's a lot of capacity. Yeah, it's, it's a reasonable market. In a European context, obviously, it's, it, it is, it's really big. But we've got some markets that are, I would call them sort of secondary markets, which are only sort of 50 megawatts. And um, uh, yeah, a good example would be somewhere like Madrid, which and don't quote me on fifty for Madrid. I don't have the numbers to hand, but something like that. And then suddenly, you get hyperscalers arriving, and people are buying land, and they're looking at a, a development pipeline of one hundred and fifty megawatts of brand new space. So suddenly, you go from fifty to you know probably two hundred megawatts in a very short space of time, and that really does um, test the power infrastructure. Um, and some quite fundamental issues around just getting those types of um, facilities built in in that, those size cities. Yeah, the hyperscalers when they show up, they can, they can fundamentally change the dynamics of a market. I mean, especially if you're talking about a 50 megawatt market. So often we see those guys show up and and they want a minimum of 60 or 120 or 240. They they want. Um, line of sight to an incredible amount of growth. And it can fundamentally, if they show up in a city that doesn't already have that, it can change the city dramatically. Um, where, what do you, so so FLAP, I think lots of people familiar with FLAP, just to clarify for our listeners, Frankfurt, London, Amsterdam, Paris. Um, I think we, I think I understand London. I think I understand the demand behind Frankfurt and Paris. Could you take a few minutes and give us your insights around Amsterdam before we get out and talk about some of the secondary markets? Yeah, so Amsterdam doesn't have big corporates headquartered there particularly. And Amsterdam is very much a strategic connectivity hub for mainland Europe. And again, going back to dot-com boom, Amsterdam was viewed as a, a location which sat, and it was very stable, very neutral, and it sat between several very, very large countries. And so a lot of the fibre went into Amsterdam. And if you just look on the map, you, you kind of get what I'm saying. And so over that period then, it became very much a... Um, an interconnect ecosystem. So they have the M6 um, exchange there. I think pretty much every single carrier was was in Amsterdam. 
Um, and it was really for that reason that it grew into what it is today. And of course, now you've got, interestingly, uh, I can't say the names, but you, you've got you know, one certainly hyperscaler who's in there in a big way. So they've, they've taken that connectivity and thought, yeah, we, you know, we want a slice of that. Um, and interestingly, you know, others aren't there because they just they, they want to go where the actual end customers are and have networked themselves in a slightly different way so they don't need the connectivity there. Right, yeah, yeah. How, how do um, cable landing stations um, and, and the cities where those happen, um, in North America, I, th I think uh, our, our listeners and, and we're pretty familiar with, hey, Northern Virginia, clearly a big spot, uh, you know, the West Coast, Northern California, Hillsboro. Um, what, where, where are those hot spots when we think about uh, the continent? Oh, it's a really interesting question. And it's one that I think I might give a very controversial Answer oh, to. we like controversy. Well, good. <laughs> yeah, it's not, again, it's not that controversial. It oh. probably shows my ignorance on the subject. But in Andrew's in, in favor of higher taxes and cable <laughs> landing stations. <laughs> <laughs> so in in Europe, um, I don't see a huge amount of demand being generated by cable landing stations. Albeit with probably, oh, I'm really going to stick my neck out and say one um, example where, where it has happened, which is Marseille in the, the southern France. And you know, there are a lot of cables that come from Africa, uh, particularly northern Africa, that, that come and land into Marseille. And that's their touch point for mainland Europe. And so... You've got people like Interaction um, or now Digital Realty there in a pretty big way. You've got some of the hyperscalers there um, and, and it, you can absolutely see that. But with that ex exception of that market, I can't think of another location other than literally just random ones like um, Northern Holland, where again, there's, there's, I think it's public knowledge that, that Google have built a data center up there. Um, they did have a couple of data centers at one point. That's um, the old Tata cable came in there years ago, and, and that was a sensible place for them to go. But that, that hasn't created an ecosystem around there at all. So uh, no, we just we don't see the um, the the impact. And in fact, I've got a lot of examples where, in fact, the the presence of the cable, people think it's going to make huge. Um, differences to the demand, and it just hasn't happened. I think Southern Ireland and Cork would be a good example of that. Um, you know, Northern Ireland with Project Kelvin, uh, Londonderry, you know, the people have built data centres there and, and, and there just hasn't been a huge amount of demand. So, no, I think it's, it's, it's something pretty complex and it's not as simple as saying, uh, you know, build and they'll come. Yeah, yeah. So not as controversial as you might think. I was hoping we were going to get us some you know, real fisticuffs going on something, but no, that's good. Yeah, th I think that you give great examples, right? Cork has not turned out to be a, a data center market. Dub Dublin is, but Cork not. And and uh, I, I think your Marseille example is a good one. I think it's probably the best example on the continent where you got an ecosystem around a landing station, but there's not many others. Um, I would agree. I'm glad that you agree because, yeah. uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be someone listening to this that just goes, what on earth is he talking about? Yeah, well, um, when, they, when, <laughs> they, when, they, when they email me, I'll forward it to you, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> 
So all all good, all good. Okay, well, well, thank you for uh, handling the 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 um, cable landing station conversation. Um, Flap, I feel like we've got our arms around as as a listener base and and as you and I both servicing this industry. I don't think we have a very good handle, and you named four off the top of your head, and I'd love to get a few minutes on each one of these secondary markets. And and you listed Milan, Madrid, Zurich, and Geneva, but if you have other ones that you find more interesting, I will tell you at, at Compass, we, we hear um, – We've had some requests around both Milan and Madrid. We have not around Zurich and Geneva. So I know you have you're much closer and have a better view on those secondary markets. We'd love to hear about those and what you think is uh, the advantages and what might be driving interest there. Yeah, so I think take Milan and Madrid. Uh, I think they're very straightforward, which is. The, you know, they've been pretty small markets, particularly Milan. I mean, Milan was a tiny, tiny market. I don't think we had a requirement there for 10 years, frankly, other than tiny little pops. Um, and Madrid was a little bit bigger, you know, it had people like Interaction and, and one or two others there. Um, and suddenly it is the hyperscalers who have turned up. And, and that's what's just changed the the landscape altogether um, and that's driven by a few things so it's the corporate demand you know these countries um, the Milans and Madrid you know, they do have some you know, pretty big corporates who are going on that um, migration to cloud and hybrid IT journey so that, that there's, there's a direct business reason for the cloud people to to go there, just look at you know, look at GDP and population metrics as two simple ones. Um, so it explains a lot of it. Um, and so they've descended, and suddenly you know we go from touched on earlier sort of fifty to one hundred and fifty, two hundred um, megawatts. Um, and and just I was chatting to um, Data Four, who have just um, I think they've just finished their um, building in um, in Madrid. And you know it's it's fully pre-let to you know to a hyperscaler. It's great, and it's similar things are happening in in Milan. Um, I think Milan's quite interesting because that's where SuperNap um, are. Um, and then there's again Data Four and, and a company called Aruba uh, there, and they've all been fairly successful. And having been successful, you've now got quite a few other companies looking at, at those locations as well. Um, again, just all hyperscale driven but people talking about you know again ten, tens and tens of megawatts so it's interesting your comment earlier actually you, you said that the hyperscalers want to ramp up to i can't remember what you said but it, you know again it was tens and tens of megawatts i think europe's all together and just a little bit small you can kind of take a decimal place off um and generally we're seeing now the hyperscalers saying look we'll commit to 8 10 12 megawatts but we need a ramp up to 20 plus um you know that's the sort of scale we're looking at and as a result people are looking to you know a minimum of 20 megawatts it load for any new building that they build pretty much anywhere and if they can get three lots of 20 uh you know on a modular basis then then they're, they're the sorts of sizes that people are looking at but it soon mounts up yeah, no, no question. I would agree with you that 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 my numbers were North American numbers, but we see that the questions we get asked about the markets we're thinking of entering over there in that in that tens and and you know get me to twenty, get me to thirty, those kinds of conversations. 
Well, we've done a, a pretty good run around Europe, and, and Andrew, I appreciate that. Would, would you be willing or, or comfortable to give us a few minutes on the Middle East and, and then a little bit in Africa? When, when I think about where the global population is headed, you know, and, and I might be thinking of you know, tectonic plate shifts, you know, decades, generations, uh, I think we'll see more, more population in, in Asia and, uh, uh, and Africa. But we'd love to, your thoughts on either the Middle East or Africa activity. Yeah, very happy to talk about them. Again, relatively short conversation. Um, if we take the Middle East first, we always question whether there was going to be good demand there. And so I actually went over to Dubai and Abu Dhabi a few years ago uh, on behalf of a, a client of ours. And... Um, the conclusion that, that I came to was it was a, a very, very small market. So any one of those markets in its own right, Abu Dhabi or Dubai um, you know, or Jeddah, um, Qatar, they're, they're small. And so if you're going to do anything, you, you need to be really aggregating some of that demand up to make it into a decent size uh, to make the economies of scale work for you to make it worthwhile focusing on deploying capital and time and effort in that very, very small area, um, as opposed to just going to you know, your next city in Europe or Asia or, or the US. Um, but the, the conclusion was it's just really, really small. And a lot of people, they just put there what they absolutely have to have to service local demand, because most global companies, they'll, they'll have... US, Europe and Asia, all with heavy compute and storage. And if you think geographically where the Middle East sits, it's kind of, you know, between the two, Europe and, and Asia, and it's like a stopping off point. They don't need to have big infrastructure there. They can service it from, from the other locations. So again, a real generalization, but that was what, what I found. And I, I don't think I've seen anything that would would disprove that um, sort of theory. Um, I suppose the, the watchword on all that, of course, is you know it only needs a hyperscaler to come in and say, look, I want 50 megawatts and, and everything changes. But I, I don't think we'll see that um, in the near term. And then, I mean, Africa for me is, is gosh, I mean, an amazing place. Obviously, you know, Northern Africa, um, Southern Africa, it, it, they're all very, very different. But in terms of probably the biggest market being South Africa, split between you know, principally Johannesburg and then to, to a lesser extent Cape Town. Yeah, huge amount of people, reasonable amount of commerce. It's on the Southern African locations, that's the most um, developed, highest GDP, most prosperous, stable, etc. Um, there is good activity, but again, it's measured in a few tens of megawatts, you know, it's not more than that. But there is some activity there at the moment. So in South Africa at the moment, there are hyperscalers running around and the associated developer operators looking to buy land. Um, but that I don't think there's any really big builds going on there yet, but that'll be the first one. Um, and then I think there's there are people with business plans around covering Africa 
Um, but those business plans, the ones I've seen, are all very, very small. You know, let's put half a megawatt in Kenya. Uh, you know, people like Guy Wilner, have, you know, he's always looking at things like that. And, you know, he's a great operator um, and he'll go into these little niche markets. But, you know, no one's talking about putting five and 10 megawatts in those types of locations. So I think the watchword is scale and just scaling your ambitions to the, the local market. So you talked about North Africa and South Africa both. I think when I think of sub-Saharan kind of in the middle, the only one that makes sense to me from a GDP perspective is Nigeria. Any meaningful conversation there? Yeah, I'd put it in exactly the same bucket as as Kenya. Um, so yes, similar sort of thing. It, it, you know, there just isn't a lot happening there. We've done a couple of searches recently for nothing. Yeah, Nigeria, Kenya. Um, but nothing's come of them. Um, but yeah, something you know, something will happen there. But it's not going to be big scale. You know, if you want to be small, niche, agile, fairly high risk, arguably, um, that those are probably really good untapped markets. But you know, you're not going to be building twenty, thirty, forty megawatts of of IT space over there. So, so I'm going to ask you a question, and, and you're, you're welcome to punt on it if you'd like, Andrew. So, so I've been to Africa many, many times. Um, my, my trips have all been you know, faith-based to, to do missionary work. And I was struck um, when I went into some extremely remote places that, you know, no roads for hundreds of miles. And I would get there, and people had cell phones. And I was struck by that. I was like, how is it that you have cell phones? And they said, look, we just skipped over. We never did the the landline build out where you know we had phones that sat on the wall. And so when it, it just became cost effective to have um, a cell tower and, and people would literally in a town where there was no power generation – they had car batteries with adapters and they used that to charge their cell phones. Now, I use that example to say they skipped over the landline phase. And, and, and I'm going to use this as an analogy to, to data centers as you talk about large-scale investment. We're clearly the edge is coming. We're not there yet, right? We're not doing distributed edge compute everywhere. Uh, I think we're you know years away from that. But I could see Africa not having the the, the big weighty data center markets like we have in the flap or, or in Northern Virginia or Northern California, I could see that market supporting that edge distribution. And any thoughts behind that, Andrew? And I, I know I'm kind of catching you with a, with a conceptual question that. Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right that there is, I don't think there's any way that they are going to be laying copper or fiber in any big way in any metropolitan areas. Um, they'll do the long haul with with fiber, obviously, but not uh, not locally. Um, you, you're absolutely right. Cell technology has has leapfrogged, and it's it's really worked. Um, I think that one of the interesting things that I've been involved with recently is just the struggle they're having with these remote locations on how to actually power the base stations, where they can't get grid, or the grid's so unreliable. And so there's some really interesting things happening over there where they're using some uh, the new lithium iron batteries um, combined with diesel generators when they have to, um, and then solar power. And uh, it's funny, I was talking to a, a company called PowerX who are looking at how you, and they're actually testing it in Africa at the moment, um, how you can use artificial intelligence to get the absolute optimum blend of all of those different power sources 
to drive down cost and increase efficiency. So yeah, some, some interesting things happening there. I think 5G will get there at some point. Um, and uh, I, think, I think their mobile is the way to go and it's the absolute test bed. Well, Andrew, I want to be sensitive to your time. Uh, thank you for, for uh, recording with us and joining us. And we'd love to have you back when we can talk in more uh, depth about other markets uh, in Europe and uh, maybe even the Middle East and, and a little bit in Africa. I think things changing in Africa uh, also would be interesting. And we'll do that for our next recording. Uh, thank you uh, so much for joining us and I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, Raymond. It's been an absolute pleasure. Good luck. Take care, Andrew. Bye now. Bye.